Welcome to Heavy Networking. We're going into the idea of Net DevOps today. Now, Net DevOps is a term that might feel like a buzzword to you, and maybe it kind of is one. So what's it getting at, this buzzword? The idea is to move your network along to the point where it's self-service. That is, your network can be consumed like public cloud services can be consumed. In order to safely provide self-service networking to your organization, there's a lot of changes required to how the network is interacted with, how testing is done before and after a change, how ticketing and notification systems are updated, how changes themselves are codified and pushed into the network. And if you're on this journey, I'm guessing you've got some combination of tool spread, coworkers that have come and gone, leaving their artisanal automation artifacts behind them, and organizational silos that seem determined to keep what you're doing separate from what everyone else in IT is doing. Yeah, don't feel alone. This is the context in which most engineers trying to make automation a reality are operating. Our sponsor today is Itential. Joining us from iTential is co-founder and CTO Chris Wade. Chris and the iTential team have been working with lots of companies just like yours on how to make automation practical to implement, leading eventually to net DevOps and self-service automation. Chris Wade, welcome, welcome back to the Heavy Networking Podcast. And man, it's been a while since you guys have been on, so maybe a good place to start, Chris, is just a, a very brief reminder for folks of what iTential is, what you folks do for customers. Awesome. So Itential provides a SaaS-based network automation orchestration platform that supports hybrid multi-cloud infrastructure. And basically what that means is we work with NetOps and DevOps teams to help them build automations and support the business. Okay. And you said SaaS-based, so it's not a box I'm, I'm racking in the data center and does discovery and a bunch of stuff like that. It is, it is SaaS-based, so I'm just going to spin up an instance from you and go from there. You got it. We're trying to make it as easy as possible to start with automation, and part of that is delivering you know, our technology and our platform as a SaaS-based uh, solution. Got it. Now, the context in which I set up this conversation, Chris, was uh, net DevOps and talking about that, trying to take it from buzzword because it is a buzzword that gets sprinkled all over everything lately in a lot of marketing literature and try to turn that idea into something real. Can you define for us what, uh, what you mean by net DevOps? Sure. I think if you uh, look on the internet, you'll basically see that this is taking DevOps technologies and tools and processes and applying it to the network, um, which we're super supportive of as we get towards infrastructure as code and platform engineering, which we'll probably get into today. But networking is pretty unique and special. And we really think we need to take the best of NetOps and the best of DevOps and, and put those together. As we look at how teams deliver these solutions. We've we've really learned from many, many years of, of managing and operating networks. And then we have this modern DevOps concept for public cloud. And we're really, as an organization and as a platform, trying to figure out how to make these two technologies uh, work well together. Well, okay, so let me ask a practical question along those lines then. Uh, a lot of network engineers, they look at what they have under their care and feeding, the network infrastructure, and go, hey, this is different than spinning up a server or spinning up processes on a server because the network affects everybody. And so I'm scared if I try to automate this thing to the point where it's self-service, some developer just can just come in and carve off a chunk of the network for themselves, that uh, something really bad's gonna happen. So are we saying net DevOps, taking the best of DevOps and the best of NetOps and putting that together, we can get to that self-service automation point where it's still safe and I'm not, you know, uh, losing sleep at night, worried about what someone's going to carve up and, uh, and blow up? Absolutely. So when we think about doing DevOps, um, typically in a maintenance window, typically in the middle of the night, typically running pre and post checks, making sure the network is, is just the way I want it before I make my change and we write scripts, we're typically focused on actually inflicting change on the network. 
when we think about making it self-service, we need to t- look at the entire process, right? So maybe I need to be opening tickets. Maybe I need to be comparing my pre-checks to what my pre-checks were yesterday. You know, with automation and with integrating into those IT systems, we can look at automating the entire process so we can get the confidence to the point where we're comfortable letting line of business owner application teams actually request it um, like they've been trained to with public cloud. So let me just try and read that back a little bit, because I think there's some clarity that we need to get into here. If you haven't sort of looked at this idea of, um, I often think of Itential as an orchestration suite that does automation as part of an overall orchestration feature, right? And automation is where you do one thing. So you have a piece of automation, maybe it goes and talks to ServiceNow, or maybe it goes and raises a ticket you know, in your favorite job manager, or maybe it sends messages to a page. Each one of those is an automation. Uh, but when you make a change on a, say, on a WAN router, what you or you make a firewall rule change, what you want to do after that is actually run a set of tests to validate that the firewall is up, the management is reachable. You want to scan some traffic to make sure all the rules are actually, you know, the key services are actually working. You might want to ping the internal interface of a WAN router. You want to automate all of that somehow. And each one of those is an individual automation. But you're saying that you're actually going to do all of that in one piece. You got it. And I think what's very exciting these days is these tools are coming with automation. Like Mm. uh, when we start looking at notification systems and we look at ticketing system and ITSM and we look at domain specific networking technologies, like you said, firewalls, DNS, IPAM, route switch, data center, cloud, there is automation being provided from these vendors. And the question is, how do we take advantage of this automation connected Mm. together so that we can actually be comfortable with that end-to-end automation, as Ethan was saying? Yeah. And because one of the things that I used to get stuck on a lot was I would make a change and then I'd have to go and log a ticket on the security team. One of the things I always wanted was an automation that said a change was made, send that over to the security team so I don't have to deal with them, right? Because they're all pain in the proverbials. And I wanted an automation that would always say, we made a change. Here's the list of changes that we did. Here's a list of tests. Now you go and check it for security. Could I do something like that? For sure. And if I think about the idea of writing a script, making a change in firewall and some of the other things uh, we've been discussing, when you start talking about updating the security team, Greg, you, you do that one time and then you can leverage it across all of your automations. So mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, we think of in, in the DIY world, in the world of, of building a script for me as a practitioner to be more efficient at my job and for me to get through my, mm-hmm. my uh, work items faster. A lot of times I'm focused on the actual execution against the network. But when I open tickets, when I send pages out, as you're saying, like that, that is a reusable asset that I can that I can attach to all of my automations. So mm. we really focus on how do I how do I build that one time, right? Because updating the security team, Greg, you're you're not going to do that just for a single automation. I assume you want to do that for most of your automations, right? Oh, I want to make so, their lives miserable and send it to them every time I make a change. <laughs> 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 Well, we try to make that very easy. So, so, so yeah, attach, attaching your automations. So, so taking your, your, your grouping of automations, whether it's coming from a vendor or whether you're writing it yourself, um, and then having those IT hooks, your IPAM system, your ticketing systems, how do I, how do I tie all those together so you can uh, harass the security team, Greg? Yeah, that well, well, either that or the, you know, the CIO. You know, there are some CIOs who say, I want to see a list of every change. So it'd be really convenient just to sort of email him every time a change is made. And then he'll be down about a couple of days later to say, why am I getting all these emails? But hey, you know, a little bit of malicious compliance going on there. Sorry. yeah. <laughs> so Chris, one of the <laughs> points you've made here is that 
iTential is able to integrate with existing automation platforms and tools that I have in-house. That is, I'm not taking a bunch of tools and throwing them out, replacing them with iTential. If I've got automations that are already in place, tools I've already invested in, that's fine. iTential will help me bring all of that tooling together and give me a cohesive platform to do my automations. Am I thinking about that right? You are. Because our orchestration workflow engine is highlighted in a lot of the demos and a lot of the ways people think about iTential, there's a lot of thought about this integrating with the IT system is the most powerful concept. But from an iTential perspective, we're just as happy uh, sending commands to a Cisco router uh, as, as any other network management platform. We just think we're to the point where um, people are building those things and we want to tie it together. So we treat a Cisco router as a first-class citizen. We'll treat um, we'll treat a public cloud system as a first-class citizen, but we'll also extend that to Ansible and Terraform and the Python libraries like NetMiko and Nornir. So we really want to aggregate these technologies in a way that allows customers to take advantage of all of those automation strategies and tie them together. So if I've got an investment in Ansible and I want to add iTential to the mix, iTential could, I could build a workflow there that would at certain points call my Ansible playbooks and make something happen, or I wrote some Python scripts or whatever it, it would call those and make that happen. Or if I don't have that investment, I could use iTential to talk directly to those devices. As you said, everybody's a first-class citizen. You got it. And as we, you know, as we get into talking about some of the modern networking stacks, um, we are super excited about how programmable networking is becoming as it becomes more software centric. And then what we saw three or four years ago is we really saw industry consolidation around a handful of DevOps stacks. Um, you know, we can talk about historically with Puppet and Chef and SaltStack, et cetera, but we really see a, a lot of the DevOps community as it faces networking, focusing on Python ecosystem, as well as Ansible and Terraform. So from an iTential mm -hmm. perspective, we wanted, we created a product, we call it iTential Automation Gateway. Um, which talks those technologies. So if a, so if a device speaks NetConf Yang, if a device uh, speaks uh, GNMI, if there's an Ansible module that speaks to it, we want to aggregate that. It's very important that we take advantage of that because as an industry, we've historically spent most of our R&D building drivers to devices. And the open source community has really uh, solved that challenge. And as your teams start to look at how to automate the network, you know, part of my positive message today is that tooling is there to do it. We don't have to, as Greg would say, we don't have to handcraft a lot of these scripts. We don't have to feel yeah. like we're alone in the desert building our own solutions. In, Wearing in your fingers to bloody little source. stumps as you pound out Python code and run testing unit tests and check them into the CI/CD pipeline and then take them off to the lab to validate if they work properly. Speaking of labs, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is there's a big push right now around configuration standardization and configuration compliance and making sure that you've got audit trails on the device configuration and, and the ability as a security process. And certainly cyber insurance is seeing a lot of effort around configuration management. Is that something that you do or do customers use third-party tools or is there some a solution in the middle here? Yep. So a little bit like we talk about on the automation side, there's a lot of strategies uh, for what I would call validation. So when we start to automate infrastructure and we start orchestrating infrastructure, the reason we tied to all those IT systems is we're trying to make sure that the data we're collecting is matching the network. We're trying to make sure we have tickets in place, maintenance windows are open. So that's one way of driving the confidence up. The second part, which you talk about is really how do we test and validate that the change we're going to make is going to be successful. And I think historically, 
we would make changes to the network. We would run a report. We would find out something was broken. I would email Ethan, ask him to go fix it because he was assigned to it. A week later, I would ask his boss to have, have Ethan do that. Um, these days, we can actually propose the change. We can say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm proposing this network change. Um, and from an essential standpoint, we have um, a golden config application that lets you build the business rules around that. Um, it also allows us to make sure that the proposed change does not invalidate um, the standards that you have for your network. So what that lets us do is it actually lets us prevent the change from going into the network versus changing the network and then finding out afterwards. Somebody wants to rotate an SSH key, but that's a special operation and shouldn't be allowed to anybody except under very limited circumstances or something like that. Exactly. Mm. I, I just think that's really important. And, you know, we talk a lot about single sources of truth, which is sort of like single sources of truth get important once you start, you know, being a network hippie, artisanally creating your Python and your Ansible scripts, right? But at some point you need something that goes beyond that and and something that's already done it. And I, be, I think the thing that that we don't always talk about is you said that Cisco routers are a first-class citizen, but also Cisco ACI and Arista Cloud Vision and ServiceNow and all of, the, all of the sideways integrations. You've already got most of those ready to go. If I want to go and send data to SolarWinds or Splunk, it's all set up by you. You don't. I don't need to do anything special. Yeah, that's an area we've really worked hard on. Um, is that we don't feel like uh, the industry should have to build these integrations between modern uh, software. So hmm. most of the platforms you're discussing um, have REST-based APIs. We've kind of standardized on that, which is great. Hmm. Um, and they typically publish something called a Swagger spec, which is an open API specification, which says like, this is the API calls and this is also the payloads. So we have worked uh, diligently to actually auto-generate those integrations. So if, uh, like you were saying, maybe Arista Cloud Vision, since you brought it up, if there's a new version mm -hmm. that comes out uh, tomorrow, uh, a customer of Itential can auto-generate the interface or they can just load the Swagger spec into Itential and Itential knows how to speak to it. Mm. Um, historically, we would have had to build these. Um, it would have been hiring an SI. It would have been waiting six months for your favorite vendor to put the download up. So the industry should expect that when they buy two modern systems, that they should work together. That is table stakes. So Chris, talk to me about uh, cloud, because we've been talking about a lot of on-premises infrastructure so far, but yet network engineers are dealing with cloud and not just a cloud. It's Now it's multi-cloud. Everybody seems to have accounts in AWS and Azure and somewhere else. Uh, do you play in that arena too? The answer is yes, but the hesitation is that, you know, what is cloud these days, you know, and as networking becomes software and it is software, we have SD-WAN vendors, we have uh, SASE security uh, cloud services, we have um, network as a service vendors. These these are, you know, the we used to talk about cloud as VPCs and transit gateways, um, you know, the virtual networking stack within a public cloud infrastructure. But when we move when we move out of data center, we start thinking about like my existing tools don't necessarily transcend and understand how to work in, in that domain. The same integration layer we spoke about with REST APIs and Swagger specs extends directly to those cloud providers. And um, we can consume those APIs and orchestrate and automate across them um, uh, similar to, to the rest of the stack. The nice thing about those modern stacks is they typically come with automation. Um, you know, kind of batteries included. So you you don't necessarily have to tell it to do 14 things in concert. You can ask it to do something um, and it will it will generally have a, a handful of configurations that are happening on behind the scenes to offer up uh, that service in, in an easy to use way. So I think the next place we need to go, Chris, we kind of have an understanding of what the platform does, but how do we take 
potential as a, as a platform, as tooling, and get us to that self-service place, that place where other folks within our organization can consume the network like they consume cloud today. Can you build the picture for us? Sure. So, you know, we've talked about integrating your network ecosystem. We've talked about building confidence in these automations by, by tying it into your IT stack. Now the question is, how do I actually have a user request this, this automation? Um, most teams will start um, with a very ticket-centric uh, model. So a team opens up a ticket, Greg swivel chairs between the ticket, logs into Itential and, and requests the automation and then, and then closes the ticket. Where our customers have been requesting is we really want to have this as a self-serve. So instead of us fulfilling requests on behalf of end users, end users would like to come request the network just like they do other infrastructure. So we really think about that as fitting itential and automation in the operational paradigm of our end users. So some of those users are ServiceNow users. Sometimes they're ticket users. Sometimes they're coming from a salesforce.com. Sometimes they're coming from a pipeline. Maybe it's a line of business owner that wants to request it as an API. So we expose those automations in a way that those end users can consume it, whether it be event-driven, form-driven, or, or application-driven. Okay, just real quick here. That means my uh, users that are going to be consuming network services via Itential don't log into Itential and click a button or something. You, you said you've exposed the services Itential offers. So then if I'm in Salesforce, there could be a form in there. I'm in ServiceNow, there's a form or some kind of an interaction there where I use the system that's native to me that I'm comfortable with, do some magic. It happens to be hitting Itential on the back end. They don't necessarily even know that that's what's going on, but, but it is. Um, and, it, and everything just works. It's been a real mind shift from end users when they can actually use the tool that they're in every day to request these automations. So while we're happy for you to log into Itential and request it directly, we launched a ServiceNow app a couple months ago where basically the ServiceNow users log into the app, download the app, connect it to Itential, and all of the automations that you've exposed to those users are now requestable directly from ServiceNow. Right, okay. That being the case then, what do I, as the Itential administrator, how am I configuring that? There's so much that just happened there relating to permissions and RBAC and workflows. And there's a lot of, it feels like, like, like I'd call it glue code. If it was something I was building artisanally, I'd have a whole bunch of little patches and scripts that stitched a bunch of processes together to make a complex process happen. How am I doing that on the Itential side? Sure. Just, so just to talk about your, your script example there. So, you know, a lot of times, um, when people build those, we ask, will you share that with the person next to you? Um, and usually the per usually the answer is yes, I know the person next to me. They, they know what they're doing. They know to only run this between certain hours and the passwords and the script and all those kind of things. Um, but when I want to offer it to somebody that I don't know, which is what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about self-serving it to somebody we don't know. We need to put those controls around it. And your, your reluctance uh, in the question is exactly uh, the point of, of the rest of the orchestration. So we do hook, hook into your single sign-on. We do implement RBAC at every layer. Um, we are integrating with IT systems to track what you're doing. There is auditing and logging along. Um, but, you know, well done at stack, maybe the actual execution is, is Ethan's script. Maybe that's, maybe that's the script you built, but we're building this ecosystem around it so that we can either go directly to the device directly, we can leverage what you have, but we need to build 
uh, that confidence and that uh, kind of the the enterprise security around it, so that we can have external parties, even one as far away as ServiceNow, from from directly requesting that. So you basically, based upon the user authentication um, in your AAA system within ServiceNow, that would apply to the automations within iTential as well. When I was doing research for this podcast, uh, I went through a bunch of your webinars and demos, and there's, um, I think you describe it as a canvas that stitches together a bunch of processes. Is this uh, part of where I'd be working to, to build out some of these services that eventually I'd be exposing to in our example here, a ServiceNow user? So when you, yeah, so the, the, we call it the automation canvas or workflow canvas. And basically we have a handful, a, a bunch of pre-built automations as well as all of those adapters and integrations we're speaking with. So in that canvas, you're basically organizing and orchestrating that end-to-end automation, some of which uh, could be directly devices, some of it could be validation, some of it could be golden configs, some of it could be opening tickets, as we discussed. Um, and you're going to build that end-to-end, and it auto-generates a route and a model for the automation that you've, you've built in that kind of low-code, um, that low-code interface. So it auto-generates uh, the route, um, if you put the RBAC permissions on it, then it will auto uh, populate within ServiceNow um, and it's ready to automate. Now you said low code, was, which was magic there. Uh, so, okay, what, is, what does that actually mean? What's your philosophy around, uh, you didn't say no code, you said low code. So give us some more parameters around what that means to me as the network engineer doing the configurations. Yeah, so to take it back to NetDevOps, when we think about NetOps, um, there's a lot of times where we've built scripts, but we've also taken tools from our from our vendors. Um, and a lot of times there would be GUIs um, that might people might think of as low code. Um, in the DevOps world, we're really focusing on how do I leverage developer concepts to achieve the same outcome. Um, so from an itential standpoint, we really desire that everybody participate in automation. So within the itential platform, we have both ways for this DevOps concepts. That's why we love hooking into pipelines. That's why we run regression testing, all the stuff we talked about from a DevOps concept. But we also need a low code concept so we can have folks that are not uh, developers per se participating in automation. Uh, when we start thinking about these, these orchestrated concepts, it's more about organizing automation than how people think about building the, the granular automation of today. So I, I kick off the job, I open a ticket, I go make my change in Cisco, I go make my change in Zscaler, I organize it together, and that is my automation. Um, the, the great part about low code for these purposes um, is that everybody can participate and the lack of code really lends itself towards that SaaS-based delivery we talked about because everything's a configuration at that point. So promoting, sharing, and collaborating around automation is really a key concept. Now, when you say everybody can participate, what you're getting at there is I don't have to be a programmer to leverage this. Is that the point? Correct. When people think low code, I think there's there's a lot of people that have used systems in the in the past that are like BPM tools with boxes. Um, and the perception is behind that there's there's code and you got to click in and do all these things. Um, but because the network is becoming modeled, um, we can use a low code system to stitch these together. Um, and as we've spoken about in the past, when we consume these APIs, these different systems don't model data the same. So this is a, when you start looking at the problem, consuming an API, um, we think is relatively simple. When you start to stitch these APIs together, now we have a data integration challenge. So how does InfoBlox model an interface? How does NetBox model an interface? How does ServiceNow 
a CMDB model, this interface. So this is where people start getting into, historically, I have to write a lot of what you called glue code, a lot of Python to stitch these things together. So I'd have individual automations to treat each of these, but now I have to kind of mash it together. So from an identical standpoint, you were talking about the workflow canvas, but supplementary to that is also a data integration strategy. So within identical, everything's a JSON object. We have JSON schema. So we have a thing called JSON schema transformations, which allows you to do this data transformation. So much like integrating with the IT systems, you build integrations to ServiceNow or InfoBlocks one time, and now you get to reuse it across all of your automations. You get to do these data transformations one time in a low-code model, and then you can reuse it across all of your automations. So, you know, as we start talking about this, it's really building these building blocks that you can stitch together um, and manage in such a way that you get to move fast, but also you get to be much more collaborative um, in, in how we think about automation. Yeah, I like it because you can be collaborative without actually collaborating. You know, my idea of collaboration is like creating a help desk ticket for the server team and thinking of it as throwing a stick for the dog to go and fetch. That's my idea of collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's contrarian collaboration view. <laughs> I, I like the idea that help desk tickets are like sending a dog to fetch a stick, really, because that's what they are. You say, would so-and-so please go and do this? And they go and fetch the stick and come back and say, yes, I've got it. Um, but I think it's important to automate that so that the stick can be fetched faster and more importantly, can clear off my desk faster than it can. And I think that that is coming back to this idea of speed and acceleration and time to action. So what we need is this ability to do more work with less time because our employers aren't going to hire more headcount, no matter how much we might need it. But I think it's important to think that these sorts of tools, stitching together automations, using pre-built building blocks, pre-built interfaces from somebody who's special, like why should I write an answer, a Python Ansible to read you know, Cisco ACI and all of the trauma that that in, entails when you've already written it for me, why am I not paying you? It's like, does that make sense? It does. And I, I would add to that, that networking as an industry, I believe has been fairly siloed off from the rest of the technology. And I think we're really entering a, a phase of networking where it is, it is the fabric for IT. You know, a lot of us focus on networking and data centers, but like we talked about with modern stacks and public cloud, you know, as my applications run anywhere, as my users are anywhere, that network fabric has to be integrated more and more. And like you said, instead of being out in the desert by yourself, we really need to integrate it in all the rest of the systems because in the future or in the current, um, applications are not just requesting compute and storage, but networking is is right there with it. Um, and and it has to be integrated with the rest of IT um, if we're going to take advantage of it. It can't be it can't be siloed off um, and and handcrafted, as you said. Well, going back to DevOps then, um, if I'm doing a deployment of an application via a pipeline, I could then, uh, what, pop in an identical process into the pipeline that would do network uh, provisioning of some kind to support that application right along with the rest of the stuff that's being provisioned for that app. Is that fair to say? Yes. The, the concept here is that we want to build an automation that we're comfortable with other people running. I think that's that's the basis of this, right? And and how they want to run it is based upon the paradigm and how they run their part of the business. So I build the automation one time. That that one automation can be consumed by my ServiceNow user doing day two operations from an IT service desk or help desk. Um, but that same automation is now available to my line of business teams. So I have some application team somewhere who's requesting DNS, requesting firewall, requesting connectivity. 
Um, they generally are quoted, uh, you know, days and weeks, not minutes and seconds. Um, so once I build that automation, I can actually expose it to all of those teams. I mean, uh, persistent with like the RBAC and other, the other things we talked about earlier, but I can build the automation one time and now expose it to multiple teams. Hmm. Um, and, you know, as, as we move down that path, you start hearing words like platform engineering, where basically we're building a curated list of network and connectivity services that we publish out to the organization to say, these are the things you can do. Um, and that's both cloud and networking so that the teams can come self-serve as they see fit. Another idea I wanted to draw out, Chris, that you've, you've mentioned here, but I think it's really pointing hammering home, um, is the, the nature of the automations that we're talking about. Because I'm seeing that as, as, as two kinds. I'm going to describe it as two kinds. One is the very granular, step-by-step, -step, I'm building a VLAN, I'm creating a routing agency, I'm building a set of rules and applying them somewhere, whatever it is, the very minute kind of stuff that engineers deal with day to day and automating that, which is a lot of places. That's, that's where a lot of us start. Gosh, building a VLAN is this complex thing. And I know if I can build this robust script, it'll do it for me and save me a lot of headaches. But that's not really the bulk of what we do. That's the thing we get to once all of these other steps and processes have been satisfied to get me to the point where I can start logging in and doing stuff by hand or kicking off the script and making it all happen. And that's the second kind of automation that you were talking about here is this, uh, this workflow, this process automation, um, where there can be tickets that get built. And there is, uh, well, I'm going to assume, that, depending on how you want to categorize this, some, you know, the testing that would get done to make sure that it's actually okay to run this test and so on. And so you're giving me not just the ability to do these granular changes, push, push code into the network, you're also giving me the ability to automate all this other peripheral stuff that takes up a lot of my time as well. So I wanted to highlight that, Chris, because I think that's something that can be overlooked or not considered because network engineers that are so close to the ground, so much as uh, Greg would say, typing your typing on your keyboard until your fingers become bloody little stumps. Uh, <laughs> When you're doing that stuff, you can forget about, and I got to submit a ticket, and I got to do these communications out to other folks. And there's all this other company process, business logic, I think maybe you would say, that uh, that you're helping me with with too. I have, a, I have a valid picture in my mind, right? Yeah, let's dig into that a little bit. So even how it's done today, so let's stick with your VLAN change. We used to keep things, or a lot of us still keep things in spreadsheets. I might get an IP block and I might use it until I'm I'm done with it. But for the past 10 years, we've been migrating that stuff into DDI platforms, right? Uh, spreadsheets mm. are moving into databases. And in other ways, my spreadsheets are moving into Netbox. So now what used to be a spreadsheet is now has an API in front of it. So, yeah. you know, without even talking about all of the kind of uh, more grandiose orchestration concepts, you know, within iTential, we have a Jinja templating designer. So you design your template and then maybe you have certain variables and you need this variable to come from Netbox and you need this other variable to come from Infoblox, you know, whatever, whatever your, your choice is there. So even what I would consider very specific domain specific automations now with the modern ecosystem that we start to adopt lends itself much more to thinking about it in, in this way. So, you know, I think we sometimes aren't perceiving the other changes that are even driving uh, kind of this automation concept, even to the most basic changes in the network. 
And so, Chris, with everything that's got an API in front of it, that's the key, isn't it? That's that's the magic there. As soon as I've got an API in front of a thing, like you mentioned Netbox, right? So if I, God help me if I'm still using a, spread, using a spreadsheet, but if I'm using Netbox that's got an API, a robust API in front of it, I can pull all that data out of that. You can access that as, um, uh, as itential. Um, and also, it, it, uh, yeah, there's another point you made earlier that I wanted to bring up again, and that is that data transformation aspect. I pull that data out of... Uh, Netbox, and it presents it to me however it presents it to me, whatever their model is for an interface or for an IP address, or and it varies device by device and so on. Um, you can transform that data uh, in a no-code way. I actually watched a demo of this, which was very cool. It showed uh, a lot of different ways you can handle things like uh, transforming a NetMask, I think, came up as an example. If it shows up as all, uh, if it's an IPv4 address with a 255, 255, 255, 255, but it's a Juniper box that can't read that. You can transform it and make it into a, to a slash 32. Uh, and there's there's a no a low code process that you can make to make that happen. And so I end up with a with a process that can pull data from wherever it needs to be pulled, uh, transform it into whatever format it needs to go, depending on the destination of it. And once I've built it once, it's automated. And I don't have to think about it from there. Uh, I can even have that data be hit multiple outputs. I could be con configuring a Cisco box and a Juniper box and have the data set transformed into both formats that are appropriate for either platform and have that just work, uh, again, without me having to, to, to think about it. It's another one of those things that grabbed me that um, until you're writing the code yourself in Python to do the data munging to make all that happen, you 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 appreciate how powerful that is. Yeah, and we have kind of a, a a confluence of events here where the types of networking we're consuming is is exploding, right? There's a there's like a, what used to be a switch in the data center is now you know between public cloud and everything else exploding, but we also have a consolidation in the types of technologies being used to automate the network, and I think it's we're really at that time where you know that script you used to write, Ethan. Um, typically, everything was the string. Um, so you just have a whole bunch of strings um, and then you try to shove it in a net box and that box is like, you know, this is an integer, this is an object, this is an array. Um, so kind of that, that, that the, those developer concepts need to kind of fade to the background. There's a certain amount of complexity that allows us to automate the network without having to concern ourselves with that. But when we're trying to, you know, DIY those concepts, that's, that's where I, th I think people begin to struggle. And it's really about how do I take what the teams have built and how do I take the technologies that are available to me from the modern ecosystem and how, how do I blend them together so the team can work together and, and, and achieve the outcomes where we all want. Which brings up a question of practicality or, um, or feasibility to do this, because I feel like most folks are really early in their automation journey, Chris. That is, most of us are writing scripts that um, take some of the tedium out of uh, uh, punching commands into the keyboard and uh, just writing a script to handle that for us. And it's still very internal to the networking group and very specific to, to the networking group. And it doesn't translate well to the larger IT organization. How do you make the leap from this early stage of, of automating where we're getting good at scripting mostly, or maybe running some Ansible playbooks and translate it into this, this net DevOps kind of thinking where it's more of a systemic view. It's how can I integrate this process into what the rest of IT is doing view? Because that is foreign to a lot of NetOps folks. So there's a, there's a number of ways to getting started. Um, you know, to Greg's points earlier, maybe at the end of my script, I need to, you know, a lot of people are checking these into Git. 
repos. Um, mm. A lot of people's are a lot of people are consolidating their testing into a test harness. So instead of running my pre-checks and my post-checks uh, by myself, I have a pipeline that does that. Um, mm. Maybe I write a test one time to say I want all my interface descriptions to meet this regular expression match, and I can run that against all of my scripts. So you know, Ethan, I would I would say first is you can begin to scale yourself. And you can scale your efforts by using these these modern tools. And in some cases, they might be DevOps tools like checking them into Git and not saving them on your laptop, or running a simple pipeline that just runs uh, your test on your behalf. Hmm. Um, from an essential standpoint, um, you know, network management tools for a long time have told us that we have to throw out what we have uh, and adopt a black box that that the magic box that solves our problem, right? Um, and you know, the ability to take what you've built, we've been automating for 25 years. I mean, writing Perl scripts and expect scripts uh, in the nineties, this is, this is, I mean, we talk about automation as a, as a kind of a modern concept, but we, we, we all, we all want to remove the toil from our daily lives. Right. So we've been doing that for a long time, but the question is how do I, what of the scripts have you written and what have you started with? Um, which part of that you did because you wanted to versus which part you had to do. Let's take the parts that you wanted to. Let's plug it into uh, kind of the larger ecosystem, integrate with these IT systems and and tie it together for the outcome that you desire. It's really yeah. a balanced approach. Um, I, I still mm. see a lot of these left, right, net ops, DevOps, um, you know, these, these types of discussions of one way or the other. Um, I really think the answer has a lot of ands in it. Um, well, I think there's a, there's, there's one aspect of this. You talk about scaling your operations, but I actually think of scaling as having more impact. Just because you wrote a script and scaled it out from one to 500 routers is scaling work, but you haven't scaled your impact. Your CIO wants to know that you're communicating with security, that you are you know, maintaining a, a, an audit log so that when the insurance company comes in and says, show me your audits, or when somebody comes in to do a security audit, you can just point to this, you know, uh, forensic grade repository of configurations all tagged and up to date. That's that's actually scaling yourself. It's not, oh, I'm getting better at Python. See, I, I think of Python and Ansible as a bit like a teenage girlfriend. You find, you know, when, you, when you're at school, you, you have that teenage romance and it's so intense when you start. It's so passionate. And then it's kind of, oh, then it cools down and then it's like, ah, you know, it was pretty good, but it's time to do something else, right? And the, now, sure, there are some people whose teenage girlfriends become their high school sweethearts and, you know, they get married and so on. And they're the people who are still doing Python five or 10 years later. But I don't think most people in networking are cut out to turn into dev into into coders. And I'll, I'll have that argument any day of the week. And I think tools like Itential get in that direction, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, you hit on a, on a kind of a, a static line or the third rail maybe on retraining you know, our network operations teams uh, to be developers. And I would I would never push back on people aspiring to learn new skill sets and trades. Yeah. Back to my ands, I really think it's both. I think many organizations are bringing in a developer-centric mindsets to infrastructure. I think those skill sets are, are key. I don't think everything in a, in a click, click, drag, drag GUI, um, as, as some people would look at, is, is going to solve everything either. I think we need to run pipelines. I think infrastructure as code is the, is the future, but I don't think we're going to get there by handcrafting it ourselves. I, I, think, I think we have to take the automation that's being supplied to us from our software vendors and hardware vendors and cloud vendors, um, tie them together, and then let's use the best of DevOps. Let's, let's run pipelines. Let's build confidence that we can make changes 24-7 in our network without any outages. That's the, the desire is to really, hmm. to, re, to really 
move forward how we operate networks. Itential is about having impact upwards, not impact downwards. What I mean by that is my CIO or my infrastructure lead or my architecture lead knows that I'm doing the work efficiently and they see the impact that we're having, not in terms of I'm now doing, you know, X number of changes per day or per week or whatever, just in terms of no one's whining about the networking team anymore. That'll get you a pay rise most of the time. Well, unless you need to have a special script that does include some pain so you can fix it, so you can get credit for fixing something that broke, you know, that's important, can be important. Yeah. And to your point of credit, I mean, it it might sound aspirational to some, but the ability, instead of executing the script on behalf of people asking you to do so, if Mm. we can make it self-service, if we can, it's really a sea change uh, in ideas when line of business owners can come request their own services and they are fulfilled on their behalf without bothering me. Um, You know, I've I've created this ecosystem where they can, can, uh, can consume it. Um, it's it's a mindset it's a mindset shift within these organizations, um, and I think it's it's probably the most profound um, example yeah. that can be exposed uh, northbound, as you're saying. I just want to go home. Like my biggest thing when I got to a certain level in my career, I wanted to go home at five o'clock. I wish this tool had been around so I didn't have to wait around till nine p.m. at night to run some command that I'd run the week before and the week before and the week before. My life is just not happy. <laughs> I just really wish this was around when I was in networking. Well, Chris, this has been a been a challenging conversation. I think maybe that's the maybe that's the right way to put it. You know, this net DevOps thing is, as you put it, such a change for so many folks. It's a it's a way to a way of thinking that's different than networking folks have been thinking for an awfully long time. To integrate with the rest of the IT processes and provisioning as a whole is uh, is a scary thing. Public cloud has been leading the way, kind of showing us how to do it, that it can be done. And now we're bringing that back on premises and making it happen there as well, because that's the way forward, especially with uh, if cloud repatriation is a thing and there's going to be more and more uh, workloads coming back on premises, then being able to deliver a cloud-like experience is increasingly important. That's something we talk about a lot on the Day 2 Cloud podcast that I uh, I co-host as well. Uh, maybe a more appropriate conversation for there, but it's been on my mind a lot because networking is, it's, it's, it's tough to bring it into the modern age of doing IT infrastructure. Well, Chris, Itential is certainly there as a way to help us uh, move things along. Can I get a trial a demo, something like that of Itential? Yes, we've put everything on the landing page, itential.com slash packet pushers. Uh, so we we put uh, you know a link to our trial, a link to walkthrough videos. Um, we try to put everything um, you know basically everything out there that somebody might want to look at. Um, we talked about the the platform being SaaS uh, delivered at the very beginning, so we make it very easy uh, to come spin up an instance, um, have a handful of use cases embedded, um, and they're listed right there on that packet pushers page. Okay, maybe I should. Fire that up myself. Actually, I got my own lab full of odds and ends of gear. I should uh, maybe I should spend some time with a free trial, see what I can get done. Well, Chris awesome. Wade, uh, CTO at Itential, thanks very much for joining us today, and uh, thank you again, Itential, for sponsoring today's episode. And thanks to you out there listening for listening all the way to the end. You are an excellent human, and you know how you can be an even more excellent human. Well, you can tell the folks at Itential when you ring them up that you heard about them on the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. Or hit that landing page at itential.com slash packet pushers. And thanks, thanks for doing that when you do. Our sponsors are what keep the packet pushers going, and they're not going to know that their investment is worthwhile unless you tell them. 
Now, you can find this and many more of our fine, free technical podcasts for your professional career development, along with our community blog, all at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. You can find us on LinkedIn if you're hanging out there. So are we. And we're on Spotify, too. And take a few minutes and read us on Apple Podcasts if you wouldn't mind. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>